You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Hello and welcome to another edition of RE Weekly Podcast, the Renew Economy um, Weekly Analysis. And um, my name's Giles Parkinson and with me is David Leach. How are you, David? Oh, very well, thanks, Giles. And pleased to uh, report that the electricity system for most people is still working, even despite the fact that Hazelwood's been turned off. Well, look, I had a bit of a flicker up here today, but that was only because we've got a big storm and um, the kind of light just all went out, but only for about three seconds. So, um, so that's good. Look, Hazelwood's obviously one of the big stories of this week, and I think we'll talk about that a bit, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about the um, AEMO report of the System Black, the first appearance of AEMO's new uh, chief executive, and some more news on battery storage, and you've probably got something else to to talk about. But Hazelwood, interesting, a lot of interest in it. It um, went out yesterday afternoon at 4 o'clock, the end of an era, um, a 45-year-old coal plant once considered um, the height of modernity um, with there's no more. Absolutely it is no more and in uh, looking at the map of electricity the instantaneous map that our good friends at uh, Global Rome and NEM Review provide, uh, NEM Watch, uh, what we see is there's still plenty of spare capacity in Victoria at the moment and in fact even the other brown coal generators aren't all running uh, flat out so uh, at the moment, the system's coping just fine with Hazelwood, and I've been talking as to we'd expect it to do so. Uh, of course, as we would expect it to do so, uh, I've been talking to quite a few people about this uh, in the media around the place, and I think they're mostly surprised to find how much more uh, renewable investment, uh, four gigawatts, and that's before any further announcements this week, is coming online over the next two years. Another thing worth mentioning um, is that actually the people employed in the renewable energy industry exceed the employment in the thermal industry and of course we'd be expecting uh, quite a decent increase in employment in renewable energy. So uh, one, of, one of the things that's um, caught the interest is of course the uh, job losses in, in, in the Trobe Valley as a result of Hazelwood. 750 workers either sacked or having to be redeployed. Uh, but it's also worth noting that there's about 11,000 to 15,000 people, depending on industry conditions, employed in renewable electricity, which is uh, more than in the entire thermal industry. And uh, as a result of the maybe $10 billion that's been invested in renewables right now, uh, we'd be expecting those employment numbers to increase and, and the new employees, basically new workers, a lot of whom will be knowledge-based, engineers and the like, uh, to exceed those job losses in, in the Latrobe Valley. And I guess, uh, Giles, just finishing on that, uh, another thing, I cannot understand why good old Barnaby Joyce and his National Party mates, well, look, let's call them country party folks, aren't getting a little bit more behind this renewable energy. Before the election, Barnaby Joyce was up there happily turning sods in New England uh, when he thought his own electorate might be at somewhat risk for a new wind farm. But these new wind farms and solar farms, they've been built in outback Queensland, they've been built in regional New South Wales, they've been built in regional Victoria, they've been built in regional South Australia. All areas that are absolutely crying out for the jobs, the farmers that are getting the wind turbines on their farms, absolutely loving the income that's coming in from them. This is something the National Party, uh, you know, really needs to to wake up to and, and get on board with. 
Well, look, I couldn't agree more, but um, look, I think for them it's the problem of actually having to acknowledge that the Greens might have been right about something, and um, I think we saw that with the uh, Senate inquiry into the coal retirement um, committee. They came out with their report last night, um, just a few hours after the closure of Hayward, and they couldn't agree on anything. I mean, look, quite often you get a dissenting report in the committee, but... Um, the Greens came up with what seemed to be a perfectly reasonable um, plan for exiting coal, of managing the transition, of looking for jobs, of dealing with the communities, of having planned to bring in renewables. Even Labor wouldn't um, side with them and had to have a dissenting report. And um, the Coalition, of course, had a dissenting report. And it just makes me think that for all the good news that we hear around the place, and there's certainly been a lot of good news, um, you know, look, Hazelwood is a good thing to happen. The closure is a good thing to happen. There's been more projects been announced this week. For all that good news, we just make no progress at all on the political front. And um, I'm not too sure what can be the circuit breaker there. And um, hopefully Finkel Report can be. But um, but look, in the meantime, I think well, David... Well, Giles, Giles, I think one point we should make, and uh, and I think you made it already, is that actually we did have a very rare moment of uh, cooperation in the Senate, where the entire Senate uh, voted to in, uh, fairly uselessly, of course, as is the nature of the Senate, uh, in favour of the uh, change to the 30-minute rule and bringing in the five-minute rule, which brings me on to another of my favourite topics, the AEMC. Whereas we hear a lot about AEMO, and we're going to talk about that and its new chief executive and its fa fa recent failings, what I, I think the hidden villain in the whole piece, quite frankly, is the AMC. We, we now, let's, let's, ex let's explain who they are. They're the Australian Energy Market Commission, and they're responsible for setting the rules of the market. Well, they are responsible for setting the rules of the market. Uh, their uh, chairperson, John Pearce, has been there for a long time. As uh, we wrote a note on Renew Economy about this and pointed out that six out of eight of their uh, uh, highest level uh, staff uh, are, are all lawyers. And so what will they know about electricity? And I found that note struck a tremendous chord amongst the people I've been talking to. There is very widespread insider dissatisfaction and unhappiness with the way the AEMC is being run. It doesn't have a forward looking approach. And it is very, very slow and obstinate and difficult to get it to change its mind on anything. And nothing illustrates that more than the five-minute rule, which has been looked at several times, and yet nothing ever happens. Absolutely. And look, in this this is the point they made by Ayimo, of all people, in their... Um in their submission to the Finkel report. Now, AEMO has come under a lot of criticism over its manage management of the grid, um, and probably quite rightly so with um, what we've seen in, New um, in South Australia and also New South Wales. But under this new chief executive, it's actually really interesting, Audrey Zieberman. She comes from New York. She's got a very forward, very progressive view of how the grid is going to be structured and, and how it should operate in the future. It's going to be faster, cleaner, cheaper, and more reliable, and, and focus on um, uh, decentralised energy. And what they said, they were just incredibly frustrated with the slowness of the AMC, saying, well, look, we're trying to get on with this. We can't do it. We're constrained by the rules, and we want the rules to be changed, and they can't be done. So let us do it as we're going along. Um, so, look, um, I've just had the dog into the uh, room, David, so why don't you just sort of take over on the five-minute rule for a bit while I put the mute on? <laughs> well, I guess the dog's probably interested about it. The, the, the five-minute rule is basically a proposal that people... Uh, other, that, it, that does create a lot of controversy. Uh, the existing gas-fired generators and even some of the coal-fired generators like it because it essentially means that a, a high-priced five-minute uh, interval can be averaged out over an entire 30 minutes 
uh, and, and allow uh, producers to get very high average prices without letting uh, people that could just um, do the pricing in five minutes. Take which is which is exactly what they're doing now, particularly with the closure of Hazelwood, because they've got even more power. Because we haven't those, haven't had those extra renewables into the grid, they're actually exercising that power. And we've seen that with the prices in the last couple of months, and we've seen that with the prices today. And it was even the network of all people who came out and accused them of actually deliberately withdrawing capacity. But that five-minute rule, if that can come in, that's going to change things in the big way, isn't it? But what I'm absolutely horrified about is this blackmail almost by the generators saying, well, if you don't, if, if, if you do change it, then we're going to withdraw capacity and we're going to take away our toys and, um, and put them in the box and not use them anymore. That's extraordinary. Well, it's not extraordinary. It's what big companies and when you've got market power, what's the point of having power if you don't use it? I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's uh, been the case eternally. I guess the broader point, though, Giles, that I want to keep coming back to is the lack of accountability. In the end, there are no key performance indicators for the AEMC as to how it's to be judged a success. At least with our EMO, you've got reliability objectives. The, the AEMC has got no performance objectives. It doesn't really technically report to anyone. Technically, the, the, the success of the national electricity market is, I guess, arguably the responsibility of the COAG Energy Committee. But that is a committee. There is no executive management in there. There is no one person who is responsible for making the NEM work. And that is the, a total organisational flaw that has to be remedied. But it can only be remedied when the states and the federal government get back on their cooperative federalism path. And, 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 and arguably the states in an ideal world, which of course we don't have, would cede some of their powers to the federal government you, perhaps you would have an overarching organisation with an executive management team that's responsible for planning and making sure that the plan actually worked. At the moment, no, sorry. Yeah, now look, I'm not too sure whether you're going to get the states to actually cede any power to the uh, national government, particularly with their performance on energy and climate policies at the moment. I agree. What I, what I think is going to be interesting, though, is how this new AEMO chief fits in. Um, Audrey Zieberman, because remember, she comes from New York, where they had a very ambitious program, 50% renewable energy by 2030. The whole program was call called Reforming the Energy Vision. They were moving away from centralised generation. They moved to moving to distributed energy and microgrids. Now, in New York, she was actually the regulator. So she was helping the government formulate policy, and she was the person responsible for putting in the rules. She doesn't have that power any, at the moment, but she's certainly got this vision for, way, for the way that the market should operate. It's going to be fascinating to see how she sort of moves in between those corridors of COAG and with the AMC and whether she's going to be trying to push them over the line. What I think, Giles, is that talented people have a way of, of getting things done. If you've got a, a good ideas and you're clever, you, you end up picking up power when it doesn't appear to be there. That's how many a successful person in life actually does things. They, they, they take advantage of, of levers that, that other people can't see. Well, uh, let's hope so, because if you've got Zieberman talking, um, talking in this way to the federal government, if you've got Alan Finkel talking in this way to the federal government, if you've got the CSIRO talking in this way to the federal government, and you've got the networks talking in this way to the federal government, and you've got a lot of other independent analysts talking in this way, and you've got the state Labor governments, surely one day they're actually going to listen and we're going to start moving forward. Well, you know, the, frankly, that's, the difficulty is that, uh, in truth, the previous Labor government had a pretty good set of suite of policies. We had a carbon tax to, to force up the price of high-carbon high emission. 
We had it wasn't a tax. We, it was a tax, and we had a renewables <laughs> policy. And a tax is better than a carbon price because it provides certainty. It's much better. We had a renewables policy that was going to bring new supply into the system, and, and that could have been improved with these reverse auctions. So you had the carrot and the stick. And we also had the energy efficiency objectives, which big businesses uh, were forced to report on. And, and by and large, this was an excellent policy suite. And, and the difficulty is getting back towards that, given that it's Labor Party policy and you, you're expecting the coalition should move that way. But it, clearly, it is difficult for them uh, politically to do so. Now, you mentioned the United States. I just want to say I've been having a look at the latest utility dive survey. And this basically says that utilities in the United States are continuing to move more and more towards renewable and distributed energy. That's their, that's their top priority. Uh, they expect uh, wind and solar to be competitive, uh, certainly ahead of coal and, uh, you know, struggling because the gas price is so low. But, but, but they're all expecting to be using less coal electricity over the next few years. Um, and, 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 you know, so when, when we turn to the USA, which is the first place most Australian companies look, look to, what we see is exactly the same trends that are going on in Europe and not expected to change with Trump being there. And so I, I basically think the global thrust of policy is going to drive Australia in the same uh, steady direction. Well, look, I think it's going to be the force of technology which marches on. And I was fascinated this week to hear from um, the chief executive of SA Power Networks, uh, Rob Stobby, and I finally got his Christian name right. Um, he was talking uh, in Adelaide this week at the release of the uh, System Black Report, and he was talking about the cost to households of rooftop solar and battery storage falling within about five years to just 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Now, if that number doesn't actually mean anything to you, it is less than half the cost of grid power. Now, that has extraordinary implications for the business model of the future. I don't know where the generators and the retailers fit into this. I'm not even too sure how the networks fit into this, because even though they have to sort of, they need to be there to share, uh, to share energy around the place and to, and, and, and to trade it. If solar and storage is 15 cents a kilowatt hour, that's probably lower than the cost of transport of electricity in South Australia. Surely there's going to come a time when they're going to have to think about writing down the value of their assets and sort of repricing them so they can fit in with this new energy economy. Well, there are, there are two big points there. I can tell you, Giles, that I've been getting quotes here in my own house. I've got four kilowatts of solar on the roof. I want to add another four kilowatts and a battery. And uh, I can only tell you that I'm not getting 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Well, they didn't say yet. They said in five years. So, you know, give it time. <laughs> I'm probably more like three times that level, to be honest, right at the second, um, using top quality components. But I, it was surprising. I thought putting a battery in here in Linfield, uh, New South Wales, I'd be like the first person to do it. But uh, one of the guys who was around giving me a quote uh, pulls up his phone and shows me a, a house a few streets away that's got 20 kilowatts of solar on the roof with four of these Tesla Powerwall ones. And I must, I must say, I see quite a few of the um, uh, uh, Tesla Model S's driving around the suburbs. So uh, whilst uh, solar is not yet wildly popular, the people that do put it in are clearly big believers. Now, the second point you pointed to is the value of the network assets. And I do think this is a big issue. If there was, uh, you could argue that perhaps the people, the state governments, when they sold off the networks, essentially they gave perpetual licences. So I think uh, South Australian Power that we're talking about there has a 200-year licence. Uh, and that means they're entitled to earn a return on their sunk costs, effectively, for the next 200 years. 
Um, but they've already paid. Essentially, they've recovered the cost of that investment, uh, I would argue, already. And so essentially, uh, we're going to be paying a good price for, or South Australians are, uh, for, to, to, for that decision for a long time to come. And I see little prospect of it really being fundamentally cha changed, although I will note that AGL was over there taking some investors around its Torrens Island power station today and released a few notes. And one of the headings in the notes was that the, the cost of the network service is going to have to come under consideration. Uh, and, and maybe from AGL's point it will, but of course this is, as usual, networks versus retailers, each blames the other. Well, that's going to be a fascinating point because they are going to go hammer and tongs at each other now. We've seen that with the networks coming out in their Finkel, in their Finkel submissions blaming the generators for basically rorting the market. Um, we've seen the retailers trying to defend their territory with the ring fencing rules. We're now going to see um, the retailers throwing back the cost of the grid back at the networks. You've got the networks throwing the cost of the um, wholesale electricity and the retailing back at the gen tailors. It's kind of going to be on for young and old, isn't it? Well, Giles, I do have to laugh, you know. I, I mean, we've seen thought bubbles coming from the federal government. I hate to keep picking on the federal government, but, you know, and when they do something sensible, I'll be the first one to give them a tick on tick for it. I really will. But Don't hold your breath. But, but when I see this ACCC inquiry, I mean, you do actually have to laugh about, you know, trying to hold an inquiry into something that happened years ago, as if we don't know why prices have risen. I mean, we've been endless inquiries into network prices and fall in consumption that have shown that most of the electricity price rises up until about two years ago were due to recovering a fixed amount of revenue over a smaller uh, uh, volume base. I mean, uh, that's, that's what happened in the networks. And more recently, we've seen the generators get uh, more market power and generate and other, other independent generators, if you like, being taken out of service whether it's Walera Wang or Northern Power or now Hazelwood. And as a result of that, I mean, AGL and Origin and Energy Australia and the Queensland government got more and more market share. The time for the federal government to have got on it, to have done something was back when uh, the, the ACCC was trying to look into the merger between AGL and and, and, and match it, and they did nothing, you know, and then arguing about it afterwards is just ludicrous. And, and in fact, go on. Well, that's right. Yeah. Well, look, we're seeing that now. Um, we're seeing the, um, the politicians being pointless, but we're also seeing the networks and the generators having this big fight. Neither of them want to lower their charges. So we've got the falling cost of solar and storage. That's simply going to make, encourage people to go off grid because they're going to be able to do that. And that's exactly the point of the CSIRO ENA report that came out last year. And they were hoping for some rule changes, they were hoping for some progress, otherwise actually warning that this is what's going to happen. And maybe the only answer for them then is to actually sort of ban it or hit people with fees for leaving the grid. I'm not too sure um, how that's going to work. Well, you're right, Giles, and this is the other point I would make that about markets, that when prices are low, everyone thinks the market's wonderful, but it's just as natural for prices to be high as it is for them to be low. That is, the, that is the, what happens in markets, and the cure for high prices is high prices. In this case, it's exactly like what you said. The good news is that the high prices will in, encourage energy efficiency without any government mandate. We'll all be more careful, and the high prices will encourage uh, individual consumers to look for substitutes. It certainly won't be gas, but it will, will, will be more PV, more storage, and probably more diesel generators until the oil price goes up again. Absolutely. Look, we probably have to wrap up pretty soon, David. Um, I do want to point to a couple of things that are happening next week. One's the um, Renew Economy large-scale solar conference, which is happening in Sydney. So we're going to be hearing um, a lot from a lot of these CEOs and a lot of the heads of these um, companies which are rolling out about 
gosh, there must be um, between a dozen or almost two dozen different projects happening in, in various stages and then and at least a dozen actually beginning construction this year. So that's going to be really interesting to see what they're going to see. Um, well, well, the point I, th I, I want to make here is that I think the industry, speaking as someone who's looked at the LNG industry, you have to be careful about skill shortages and labour costs. If you try and get all of these solar farms built in the one year, you are going, there's going to run out of people who know what they're doing and you're going to run into uh, equipment delays and cost price increases that you're not expecting. Some of these projects, uh, are not all of them, are necessarily going to succeed. Maybe that's a good employment opportunity. Maybe people should run down to the local TAFE and get a solar installers course. Could be big, big, could be big money in it. <laughs> it could indeed. I'm simply saying if we had more national planning, uh, we could manage this in an effective way. I'm not saying there will be a big problem with the amount of solar that's uh, currently been been started up, but I am saying that uh, everyone needs to be on their toes. Some, Not all of the solar companies themselves have got that much cash flow. Uh, and uh, for instance, uh, it is a fact that First Solar's share price is down you know, 25% in the past month. Uh, and they're, they're the company res uh, installing quite a few mm. of the panels. So you've just, I think the industry needs to be careful about not getting too carried away with the spreadsheet projections and, and making sure they get things done cost effectively. A fair point, David. Look, um, David, thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you at the conference next week, and I look forward to talking to you and, um, and the Renewal Economy um, people um, this time next week. Thank you. And I uh, wish all the uh, Renewal Economists uh, listeners uh, all, all the best. We should call them the Renew Economists, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> thank you, David. The Enlightened Ones. That too. Thank you. Thank you.